Good morning, everyone. I'm going to try to see if I can not engage with this microphone in any way that uh, creates unpleasant sounds. <laughs> I'd like to start uh, this morning's instruction by um, opening up a little bit uh, what we mean when we say, when teachers say uh, not to get caught up in stories. Because, well, we might think, well, stories are just uh, what's happening. Um, you know, uh, and what's wrong with stories? Is our stories bad? Uh, so, so stories um, are not bad, and stories are really um, very important, and um, and they can be even wonderful because they can they can contain a lot of wisdom and teaching. Uh, in pointing out certain things, certain dynamics, certain ways that uh, things are unfolding, life is unfolding, or did in the past. Uh, we can learn a lot from stories. Stories also uh, draw people together. A shared story can draw people together in ways that are good. They can also draw people together in ways that are destructive. So the only problem with stories that is that we think that they're true. Um, and a story is always, you know, a sketch, an outline, drawing forth certain perceptions of um, life's unfolding. And, and we see this, uh, you know, in a broader way in history. Um, like history is told in certain ways by certain people, and a lot is left out, uh, and um, and certain things are uh, portrayed in in particular ways to highlight uh, the the rightness of some participants in the story, and the you know perhaps the the wrongness of others according to someone's interpretation of history. And so, um, you know, just, just think about uh, the, if, if you were to tell a story about <clears throat> this retreat and you know, how you arrived at the retreat and um, what happened, you know, it would be very much your perceptions, it would be influenced by how you were feeling at the particular time, what you experienced um, in, you know, as you found your way to your room and, you know, engaged in having uh, supper and so on. And, um, and what was resonating for you and what wasn't and what you didn't understand and, you know, things that maybe you judged or um, you know, had aversion to, things you really liked. So. So stories are always just a thread of a whole tapestry 
uh, that you know we we pull forward and and we but they can they can have such power in our lives um, stories about our uh, years of growing up and our families of origin um, our our feelings or our the ways that we felt that our parents loved us or didn't love us. Um, and, um, and so then stories can change. You know? So uh, just to give a, a personal example, um, so my, my father had a lot of anger. And he expressed a lot of anger when I was a kid. And so, uh, so my feeling was of really not being accepted, not being loved by him. And, um, and that's kind of the overriding story that, that uh, I took with me as I left my home and went on with my life. And then, and then reflecting later and, and talking, I, I um, I experienced having a blended family, and so you know I have stepbrother and stepsister that I, and stepmother that I um, uh, came into my life uh, as a teenager, and and later in life, you know, my stepbrother said, you know, your father really loved you so much; you were his favorite. Oh, <laughs> you know, so then the story changes. Like, oh, my father didn't know how to show me. You know, my father was, you know, caught up in other things. It becomes a more nuanced story. It becomes a story, you know, w which evokes perhaps more compassion. Um, so, so stories can change um, as we as we reflect on them, as we get more information. So, so we have these stories that we cling to, that we have in our heads that shape, you know, further perceptions and shape how we experience our lives. And so in, in meditation, these stories begin to surface um, as, as we're training ourselves to not get caught up in the stories, not be thinking the stories, not be following the direction of the stories, but rather noticing that there are stories. And, and so we, uh, we begin to see these, these narratives that, that drive us. And, um, and so uh, we begin to touch into the, the emotions that are deeply intertwined with these stories. And, um, and as we touch into loss and grief, you know, a lot of our emotions that are coming up are connected with stories. Um, stories of what we miss and stories of, of what was difficult um, and uh, stories of what's unresolved. Uh, and so, 
So stories are often kind of mental carriers of emotions that are deeply held in the body. And, and as we begin to disconnect from the stories and begin to recognize that the mind is you know, being driven by stories, we, we can come back to the body, our great ally, our great support in our meditation, because the body um, reveals to us the, the, the deeper nature of the story and how we experience it and, and what's being held in the body. Um, so, so if there's a story about that comes up habitually, you know, coming out of life experience of, you know, I don't belong or I'm not wanted. So, so we we begin to notice that, and and so we say, there's a story. There's a story, and it comes from my experience, and and that's it's a story that needs to be questioned, and it's a story that has an impact on my body, on my whole being, and so when I notice that it comes up in meditation, or as mindfulness grows and I'm bringing my mindfulness into my daily life, and I'm just really noticing moment by moment what's happening in the, in the mind and body. You know, I might, I might notice it when I'm walking or, or just uh, doing things, but you know, just talking now about meditation. So noticing that story come up, connected perhaps to some kind of uh, thought or memory that comes up in the mind. And, and so <clears throat> the, the factor, the, the meditation factor, the awakening factor, that's, that's very, that's right connected with mindfulness is investigation. So, so there's mindfulness, which is this present moment attention, uh, noticing without judging, without trying to fix, without, without uh, trying to push away or cling to, um, without creating a whole commentary about it. So that's, that noticing is the story, you know, I don't belong. Just, it might not be your story, but it, you know, I'm just using it as an example. You know, we all have stories that we carry. Um, and uh, and so, so the mindfulness notices rather than believing, <laughs> rather than getting caught up in. Mindfulness notices, you know, the story in the mind. And, and then investigation, mindful investigation, says, oh, what is that? What, how is that manifesting? How is that being held? How is that 
being known in the body. So investigation, um, most fruitfully and fundamentally investigates in the body. Of course, we also investigate mental factors, but, but the body is, is such a good place to bring that quality of just looking and feeling into what is this, because things tend to linger in the body. We, you know, they have, they have a longer kind of sine wave, or I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but they, they just hang around longer. We can feel into them. Um, a, a thought is more fleeting. Uh, and, and so, um, so we can, you know, Oh, you know, that, that really feels heavy around my heart or around my, my belly. I'm feeling that as a kind of um, a heaviness or a contraction or, or my throat gets tight or my shoulders get tight. I wanna, I'm trying to hide, you know, bring my shell around me by hunching up my shoulders. And so we're just noticing how the body is holding these, these mental states that the stories are expressing. And, and as we sit with those feelings, those sensations in the body, we can, with the with the capacity, the steadiness of mind that we're developing in our practice just by being pre- coming back to the breath, coming back to the body. So we develop this steadiness of mind to give space to, to give attention to these upwellings of sensation, of emotional uh, content felt in the body. <clears throat> And we just notice how, how, it, how it manifests, how we're holding it. And, and if we allow ourselves to relax and not grip with, the, with our bodies, but it, uh, if we allow ourselves to, to let go of that story, even a little bit, and give it space. We discover that it's, it's painful, first of all, uh, and the word in, that we use for that in, um, it's a Pali word, and it's dukkha. So dukkha is uh, sometimes translated as, as suffering. So it might not be intense suffering, it might be kind of just a sense of the unsatisfactoriness of that, the, that even, even something that, that feels somewhat pleasant, like, um, you know, drinking a cup of tea when we've woken up from a nap. Um, if we if we cling to that, if we want more and more, or you know, if we or if we can't get our cup of tea, uh, then it's there's a an unsatisfactoriness to the experience, 
and then the other, the on the other end of the range of experiences that is referred to as, as dukkha, um, there are you know truly painful experiences of of the body being very ill or the grief following the loss of a loved one and so on things that we've been touching on in this retreat. So we so we recognize that experiences that are being held in the body, mental states that are being held in the body, um, attitudes, perceptions, you know, are, are dukkha. When we recognize that, that encourages us to not hang on to them. Uh, and and as we begin to loosen our grip, you know, around the heart, the shoulders, the belly, and so on, as we begin to relax a little bit around them, we begin to notice that they have this quality of impermanence. They have this characteristic of impermanence, that they move, move through us. And that's, that's actually really important to notice the, the impermanent nature of, um, of our experience, especially of these, um, these states that we're holding in the body as they begin to reveal themselves to us, that, that we begin to recognize that <clears throat> this feeling of, for example, I don't belong, is something that I'm holding and that I'm imposing on my experience. I'm layering that onto my experience. And as I learn to let that go, and as I learn to open to other possibilities, oh, maybe maybe I am welcomed. Maybe I am Maybe I do belong. Maybe I am. My presence is that there are, you know, there are interests, interested people. There are people who want to connect with me, and I want to connect with them, and 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 uh, open to that possibility. So new, new ways of being can manifest through us um, when we're open to new possibilities. So. So sometimes when we encounter um, emotions that are painful, uh, it's very challenging. It takes it takes courage, and we talked about that with regard to grief. That you know, uh, it's it's really so beautiful. It's courageous. You you showed up here and you wanted to explore this experience of loss and grief uh, to open to greater freedom. And, um, and so there's a turning toward it, a turning toward the direct experience in the body of 
you know, how is that expressing, how is the grief, you know, and grief can be intertwined together with so many different things, you know, um, of course sorrow and perhaps anger and, um, and perhaps fear of what is life, what will life be without this person or without this, this, this work or this place or needing to move to a new place, you know, so, so, uh, so many things can be intertwined with grief and, <clears throat> and so as we open to them, you know, it's, it's diff difficult, it's unpleasant. Um, we talk about feeling tones in Buddhist practices, you know, kind of in a very simple schematic of they're pleasant, they're unpleasant, and there are neither pleasant or unpleasant, and we call those neutral. And we tend, in a very uh, natural way, to, to want to avoid the unpleasant, and we want to move toward the pleasant. And so that's why, you know, we often turn away from the process of grieving, and and uh, and our culture is so addicted to, you know, pleasant experiences and you know consumer culture that you know is always as as um, uh, Francis Wallace. Is I'm forgetting his last name. Um, was saying in the in the book I quoted yesterday. Uh, you know, we are a culture. The West, the Western culture, has these habits of anesthetizing and uh, um, amnesia, amnesia, anesthesia. So we we deny, we turn away from, we forget, we. Um, anesthetize ourselves with pleasant experiences. So turning toward what is painful and unpleasant is, uh, takes, takes a heart that really um, you know, wants to be awake within ourselves. A heart that wants to be, to be free, to, to love, and to respond authentically, not uh, bound by all of these stories, um, many of which are so limiting. And so, so turning toward the experience in the body means, first of all, you know, recognizing there's there's wanting, there's there's grieving, there's uh, anger, um, and and then accepting. When I first started uh, practicing insight meditation, I began to notice that there was this kind of automatic reaction in my mind that there would be a recognizing of an experience 
and the door would slam shut. I'd slam it, the door, you know. There was, like, I didn't want to know about anger. I didn't want to know about, you know, uh, feeling uh, insufficient or unworthy, you know, like, that's not the story I was telling myself about me. And I especially didn't want to know about judgment because I had a story about being this, you know, kind and compassionate people that doesn't judge other people. So, so I began to notice how quickly I slammed the door of my mind when those kinds of thoughts were coming up. And so I learned to, you know, welcome them in, in that, as Rumi talks about in that, in his beautiful poem, The Guest House, you know, open the door, welcome them, a- them in. There might be some, some visitor who will clean you out and, and open your house to, uh, to new possibilities. And so, you know, opening the door, accepting. And then, and then this quality of investigation. So, so what is this? Who are you? How do you live in my body? Um, and, um, and just uh, being with it. So, and that's, that, that is, um, that requires the willingness to be with what is unpleasant and painful. Um, and so, so there's a pain in the heart. It just feels like my heart is breaking or my stomach's in a knot. So can I just feel the body, be present in the body, you know, this, this uh, steadying of the mind that we're learning, be present in the body and, and listen and, and be present with the unfolding of this experience. And so then I begin to recognize that when it's given space, it does, it does shift, it does move, it does maybe, maybe very slowly, maybe um, imperceptibly at first, you know, when there's a deep grief. But it does move, it does give space, it does open up. <coughs> so, so I've talked about, so there's a little acronym that helps us to remember this. The recognize is an R, the accept is an A, the investigate you know, in the body is an I, and the fourth letter is non-identification. Um, so, so this is, it's not, it's not me or mine, it's a, these are conditions. So I don't need to own it, I don't need to say, this is what I am that I am grief, or I am anger, or I am fear. Um, this is, uh, these are conditioned um, patterns that manifest in me. And, and as I develop the capacity to, to be with them, they move through me. Um, this RAIN acronym, by the way, is something that was um, a, an, a, a, 
creation or an insight of uh, Michelle McDonald, um, and many teachers have used it since. So as we, as we learn to work with these emotions in the body, in a very embodied way, um, we begin to change our relationship with them. I remember one student said to me, um, I used to have the, these experiences where I was just overcome with dread. I didn't know why, but it would just overcome me. And I was dreading the dread. <laughs> you know, that there was like, fearing that this sense of dread would overcome him. And, and then he said he sh that as he shifted his relationship with him, with it, you know, sometimes it still came up. He said, I no longer dread the dread. It, it you know, it, I re realized that it, it comes and goes. It's a conditioned um, pattern. And as we get lost, less caught up, less believing the story, less believing the narratives that come with that pattern. We're holding on to it less and less. And it begins to lighten. It begins to become more transparent gradually over time. Um, sometimes things come up in my mind that just feel like ghosts of patterns that um, that used to be very powerful. And, um, and then sometimes I, you know, I notice, oh, that pattern that used to come up in this set of circumstances, this isn't there. Uh, and the Buddha said it's important to notice, you know, notice what's there and notice what's not there as well. There's an image that I really like about um, working with these difficult emotions. <clears throat> um, like when you live on a prairie, uh, you know, in a flat area on a prairie, it's pretty flat around here, um, you can see a storm coming from a distance. You know? so, so you see, oh, you know, the sky's getting dark, and then you feel coming, you know, so that's kind of the recognizing. And then, and then, you know, you're in it. You're in this storm, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's, you know, the slender lightning and it's dark and windy and the rain is pelting down and it feels really intense. And then, you know, and then, but you know it's going to move on. Uh, and then, you know, and then it gets lighter and, and, uh, and it does move on. And um, so, so when we pay attention to these inner storms, we, there's a, a kind of an intimacy with it. It's, it's not easy, but, but there, in that intimacy, there can be compassion um, because we know that this being, this being sitting on this cushion, 
uh, is um, has experienced and is experiencing in this moment um, this this pattern, which has been perhaps very present and painful in our lives. And so, um, so that compassion uh, is also a really important part of, it's, uh, it's implicit within the acceptance um, that we, we open to it out of compassion. So, so the so the practices that we're we're stabilizing our our attention, our presence, our capacity to be aware that enables us to notice when things manifest in the body, in the mind. Um, you know, when things which are beautiful, which are pleasant, um, manifest in the body and mind. We're mindful of them. Um, but as long as we're not clinging to them, you know, they're not a problem. They come and go. But when things manifest that are suffering, uh, then it's an invitation to recognize and to work with them. And, uh, and then bring that attention to the body, that steadiness of awareness, and invite, you know, explore, investigate, go deep into what does this feel like, and really notice its impermanent nature. And noticing that impermanent nature really helps us to not identify uh, recognize that it's something that you know moves through us and um, and we can we can let it go so so I invite you to explore practicing with this in in the sitting that we'll do now and uh, so you can uh, take a moment to shift your posture and and take a posture for meditation, <clears throat> and uh, and also to work with this in in walking meditation and <clears throat> and in your activities in the day. <coughs> yeah, feel free to stand up for a minute if uh, you'd like to.
Standing is also a good posture to meditate, since some of us have been standing. Um, Especially if you find that uh, you're sleepy, um, standing, because it requires a bit more engagement in the body, it, it can be energizing. So if at any point you, you find that your, <clears throat> your capacity to be present and awake and alert is, is just drifting, uh, yeah, feel free to quietly take a standing posture. So as we begin meditation, we connect with our bodies being supported by the earth, resting on the earth. Feel the the body energized, alert, the back lifting from the base of the spine through the crown of the head, and the body relaxing around that. Feeling the breath. And bringing mindfulness to the fore. The the Buddha began some of his discourses on mindfulness by saying, uh, take a seat and you bring mindfulness to the fore, to the foreground. Bringing that quality of attention, mindful attention, into presence and noticing what is that way of paying attention. What does it feel like for you? What are the qualities? Does it feel open? Does it feel clear? Does it feel present? Bringing that quality of mindfulness to the fore and bringing our attention into the body and the breath and the whole body feeling into the body noticing if there are places of tension in the body inviting them to relax settle and then resting attention in the body or on the breath 
that becomes our, our home base. Sometimes the word anchor is used. A resting place. The attention comes back to the body, to the breath. And then as we notice the mind getting pulled into story, we, instead of just letting go and coming back to the body, back to the breath, we may turn toward that to notice what is that. Or maybe it's just, you know, remembering something that happened during the work period and it was, it's just a memory goes but maybe it has more intensity maybe it's it's a reaction around something so we can recognize that and accepting it is a is an acknowledgement of the uh, the need to work with it, and we investigate it in the body. How does that feel in the body? That reaction that happened that I'm remembering now, or or that old memory, or that fear of something in the future. Where is that held in the body? How is that? manifesting with this attitude of non-identification it's not me or mine it's a pattern let me investigate it in the service of freedom Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.